Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast, a deep dive rewatch podcast, spending time with America's favorite radio station, WKRP in Cincinnati. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm his wife, Donna. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the trivia, the characters, and the details that have made WKRP one of America's favorite syndicated sitcoms for nearly 40 years. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. We want to say a quick thank you at the top of the show to everybody who voted for us in Podcast Magazine's Top 50. We were selected for December of 2020 to be in the Top 50 in Podcast Magazine. So thanks for voting thank for us. Thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate that. All right, so now let's let's get into it. Donna, what are we doing today? Today's episode is Goodbye, Johnny. The air date was the 19th of February, 1979, written by Hugh Wilson and Blake Hunter. The story editors were Tom Chihok, Bill Dial, and Blake Hunter, directed by Asad Kalata. Johnny gets a job offer and a chance to return to the Los Angeles radio market, the place of his greatest success. The staff of WKRP try to trick Fever into staying by showing how much they mean to him. Now, you might have noticed a name missing from the writer's room. Emily Marshall was not listed with our story editors. And the reason for that, if you look at this episode closely, uh, and we're going to point some things out to you, this was produced before the hiatus. And we even think it was probably produced back in August of 78. So we've got some interesting information about that we're going to give you in just a little bit. Uh, Also, the snow scenes that you see at the opening of the Shout Factory discs were added back in. Those were cut to make uh, time for syndication. So you ready to get into it? Let's do it. The scene opens with Johnny behind the mic playing beach music and dancing in his chair. He's playing Surfin' USA by the Beach Boys. Well, for real he is. Yes. But not on the Shout Factory DVD. Uh, And we're really hoping Shout Factory got a deal on this music that they used in place of the Beach Boys. We'll give you a little snippet here. This is what Johnny was actually playing on the network airing of the show. USA. Surf's up, and it's a beautiful day here in Cincinnati. And then this is the bargain basement cut that the Shout Factory got to add back in there when they put it out later. All right, everybody, surf's up, 
And it's a beautiful day here in Cincinnati. Hmm. And why is Johnny so happy? <laughs> we will find out. Johnny's dancing. He's waving his hands back and He's forth. He's very animated Some in this episode. Kind of a jazz hands thing, which is cracking me up. And he's playing Beach Boys, and he is so happy. And then he gives us this weather forecast. That's right, babies. We got a blistering 14 degrees outside, and there's a gentle wind wafting down from the north at about 1,000 miles an hour. After the weather forecast, he starts another song and begins dancing around the studio. And what's this song? He's manic, and he's dancing. Now, when it starts out very first, when he first puts it on, this is the Rolling Stones, I'm Moving On. I can feel the excitement already! Now, this is going to get messed with in this scene, and it's later it's not going to be the Rolling Stones. But we'll tell you about that when we get to it. So he's dancing around the studio, having a great time when Les enters, wearing a big, thick winter coat and a very interesting hat. And we have declared this hat a fez. A it's, fez. It seems to have the structure of a fez, but it looks like it's very rough wool or something. Yes, and he's wearing thick gloves and a scarf, but he's very excited when he comes in and he interrupts Johnny's music program to make an important announcement. Unless obviously has important news because he grabbed the turntable lever and took it out of gear, which causes the turntable to just wind down. No respect for the turntable or the records no, playing. No, not at all. We have an emergency here. I have to interrupt your program. He mentions that uh, if you can hear his voice in a 400-mile radius, be prepared for serious weather. When he said that, I thought, how far... How far is Les's voice reaching if he is really touching 400 miles? Yes, and you found an interesting site on Google or wherever. Well, I punched into Google radius around Cincinnati. And what I came up with is the greatest thing on the web in my mind right now. (laughs) It It is called, I kid you not, the Big Radius Tool. And it is... It is hosted by statsamerica.org. With this thing... And all, it is G-rated. It, it's oh, it, it's it G-rated. Sounds, <laughs> it, it sounds like some kind of a porno, I know. The big radius tool is coming to a theater near you. But uh, no, this thing, all you have to do is put in a city and a radius, and it will tell you every major city in that radius. So we put Cincinnati and 400 miles in there, and we found out that Les was going to talk to Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, Charlotte, North Carolina, all of Illinois and Indiana, and all of Tennessee. This is an important news bulletin, right, Les? Today, in Cincinnati, it is snowing. Les gets a little excited about things, but in Cincinnati, it truly is snowing. A real mess, Les. Now, when he finished his report, he just turned around, and what he'd done is put that turntable in neutral. There's a little spinning rubber little wheel that when it touches the edge of the big platter, it makes the thing turn. Well, when you take it out of gear, it's just not touching the platter. He drops it back into position. Now it's touching the platter again, and... We return you now to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) 
starts up. Now, when he's, he just started up the same record he had stopped, but this is no longer the Rolling Stones. This is not a continuation of the Stone song, and we believe it's because Hugh Wilson would have had to have paid for another cut had he continued to use the Stone song, which was shut off and then turned back on. Once he gets the song started again, Johnny turns the volume down because he and Les are going to have a conversation. Very professional, Les. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. I might have to interrupt your program again. Well, the whole world's waiting for word on this, right? And Johnny gets a little sarcastic with Les because Les is very serious about the snow and the storm. Johnny still has this attitude of kind of devil-may-care. Good God, man, you're not going out there again. (laughs) But Les, totally clueless and just serious as can be about reporting on what the weather is doing, and he's got to get back to watching it snow. Les leaves the studio. He tells Johnny he's going to go look out the window and keep an eye on the weather. And this is where Johnny turns the music volume back up. So this is a continuation still of what originally, way back when, was started out as a Stone song. But now for this second cut of it that we hear, Johnny turns it up. And on the original network airing, there was a replacement cut. It was not really the Stones. For some reason, when Shout Factory put it on their disc, they also replaced it, but with a different piece of replacement music. So, so a replacement for, for the, the replacement. replacement. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So using Dale Kovar's disc, this is what aired out of that sequence. We're going to let you hear these couple of pieces. This is what aired on network that night in February in 1979. <laughs> Now, this is what Shout Factory replaced the replacements with. I thought that was just goofy as can be that they replaced a replacement. But that is what happened between the network airing of this show and the Shout Factory. They replaced the replaced music. And we need to take time now to thank our man in Cincinnati, Chesie. He informed us that in the winters of 1976 to 77 and 77 to 78, Cincinnati saw record cold temperatures. Perhaps the cold open of this episode had a bit to do with those two nasty Midwest winters. And it was so cold over those winters, the Ohio River froze in January of 1977, and people were able to walk across it. That's cold. That's pretty cold. Now, also, let's talk about this cold open. There are some things that we noticed in this episode that has caused us to believe that this first scene was shot at a later date than the rest of the show. Be watching for it, but we're going to go over this more after the next scene. It'll make more sense to you then. But before we get out of the studio, we do want to take a look at the posters on the door. Uh, Again, thanks to our man in Cincy, Mr. Chesy D. The top one is a bus map of Cincinnati, and Chesy says that really nothing much has changed since this one back in 78. The middle one appears to be a map of Riverfront Stadium set up in what looks to be the baseball configuration. The one on the left looks like it might be a zoo highlights map because uh, it looks like there's a yellow trail snaking around different pictures of animals. But he said it also could be one of the several regional parks in the area. I'm going zoo. I like, I like zoo. I like zoo. Yeah. yeah, we're saying zoo. We do a dissolve now out of the studio, and we go into Andy's office, and this is where Les was headed. 
Les is sitting kind of perched up on a speaker, which is then on top of that desk or that table that Andy's got over there in front of the windows. And he's kind of got his head angled down and is looking out, watching it snowing. So this is Les reporting on the weather. He is watching it snow and is still wearing his five buckle overshoes. I had a question. Why is Les in Andy's office looking out the window to do his weather watch when they've got that huge window in the bullpen there that blew in during the tornado? Well, we kind of think the time this was shot, we didn't have a bullpen yet. Uh, Oh, that's right. We also kind of think that this scene was the actual beginning of the original episode. And we'd like to thank Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock, for pointing this out. You know how we've talked about Hugh Wilson post-dating scripts to look like they've been written during hiatus? Well, he had some produced episodes sitting on the shelf, too. The opening scene in the studio with Les and his fez is most likely the only part of this episode shot after the hiatus. They had more time to fill because of that reconfigured cold open. After we leave the studio in that first scene... Everything else about this episode says it was shot in August or September. No Emily Marshall is a story editor. She wasn't brought in until the hiatus. We're pretty sure this scene in Andy's office is the first scene of the episode as it was produced in late summer or early fall of 78. We also have a chance to look at Andy's office walls here, and we see the ELO posters that we have seen before. We Dan Fogelberg, Yeah, Tim we step back to Pilot Part right, 2. right. Uh, That Rod Stewart poster, I think we went over that one in Hold Up. So these are all early in the first season episodes where these posters were seen, and now here they are again. And Michael Hernandez, uh, the accountant of rock, he let us know that he found in newspaper TV guides a listing for October 30th, Goodbye, Johnny. Now, if you haven't heard us talk about what Mike's doing, uh, he is actually going back through old newspaper archives. This is true forensic historic research that he is doing. And he is finding these listings like what you would have found in the Sunday section of your local paper, the printed newsprint listings. He is looking those up for individual papers. And what he has discovered is on October 30th, in a lot of the newspaper TV guides, they had listed Goodbye Johnny, this episode. Well, if you remember, and if you're a historian of the show, you know October 30th, the day before Halloween of 1978, was the historic first airing of Turkeys Away. (laughs) It seems like CBS or Hugh Wilson or a combination of the two decided we want to get the good stuff out there before hiatus time, so let's get turkeys on the air, especially coming up to Thanksgiving. So that's what it looks like based on the work that Mike's done, finding these listings of this episode. We also saw a picture of an actual script of Turkeys Away, and the date on the front of it says that it was shot August 19th of 1978. So remember we talked about in Turkeys, we knew that Turkeys Away was shot prior to the first episode airing on TV. So we knew it was sometime there in late August. Well, looking at the set decoration, we're thinking this one was shot relatively in the same time period. So when Les turns away from the window... And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. 
left pointer finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Andy enters and he's shaking the melted snow off of his hat and gloves and his coat. And he turns around and he's surprised to see Les in his office. Andy's got a glow. His face is all wet and sweaty looking, but maybe that's the melty snow. That must be it, or it's those hot lights. <laughs> he sees Les and asks him what he's doing in there, and Les explains... Well, Andy, it's a weather watch. I have an update at the top of the hour. Now, we're kind of figuring it must be coming up on 9 a.m., which seems like Les is coming in early. Normally, we see Les in at 11, 12 o'clock around in there. Andy's just getting there. We know from contest nobody could win. Andy gets in about 8.30 in the morning. So we're guessing Les is getting ready for his 9 o'clock top-of-the-hour weather report. So he gets his last look at the snow and heads off out of the office. It's not as easy as it looks, Andy. Oh, I know, Les. Weather's tough. (laughs) Enter Johnny into Andy's office. He's singing. He's in a wonderful mood. He plops down on Andy's couch. The crazy manic Johnny continues from what we saw in the studio. This is not the Johnny that we're used to. No, no, not the sedate, almost-asleep Johnny that we're always seeing. He asks uh, Andy... You enjoy uh, poetic justice, Andy? Yeah, just as much as the next guy. And he explains... competitor of the guy that fired me wants to hire me. And you remember why Johnny was fired. I used the word booger on the air. That's right. Yeah. I was making about a hundred grand a year out there. Then one day I said booger. Bunch of bozos called the station. Next thing I know, I'm in Amarillo hosting a garden show. So he's wanting to take the job offer. Andy immediately figures it must be about money. I'll talk to Carlson about getting your raise, but Johnny isn't interested in money. You're talking to a 40-year-old man who lives like a college student. It's about pride. He wants to go back and take on that station that sacked him and proved he shouldn't have been let go. So he's all excited. He starts to leave the office and he turns and asks Andy. Mind if I leave? And you remember, this was that joke that Johnny used to do in the first two or three episodes of the season. And they they wove it in very nicely here as Andy responded. Yes. Yes, I do. And going for one of the longest cold openings ever, clocking in at nearly five minutes, we hit the theme song. WKRP in Cincinnati. Begin the next scene in Carlson's office, and Carlson is sitting behind his perfectly <laughs> clean, uncluttered, immaculate desk because he never works. You, you know what I, <laughs> you know what I think of a lot of times when we get in here, especially Art's desk when he's alone in there, and he turns all of his things on his desk into toys. I think about Michael Scott and his actual toys he that he had. Toys, yes. It's just the evolution <laughs> of this type of executive, but Art starts playing with the pen and pencil set on his desk. He's acting like they're guns on a warplane, <laughs> and he's in his swivel chair turning and shooting and blah, 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 blah. He's, he's in some kind of... And it even, could be a plane or a ship. It, it's some kind know. of a gun turret with the, with the gun seat that moves, you know, as the gun's in front of you. And he is turning in his chair and even leans back at one point, so he's taking on other targets. But it <laughs> it's just a great visual. <laughs> He doesn't even hear Bailey and Herb enter. And oh, it's, it's time. time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. 
This outfit that Herb is wearing, he has worn it before, but it's worth mentioning again. Yeah, we saw this coat in Turkey's Away, and it kind of bowled us over then. And it's one, every time you see it, it does take your breath away. It's the red, blue, purple, yellow, tan check. Yeah. With the solid blue collar and pocket flaps. Oh, uh, you got to go check it out. If and you have the not seen it, shoes. If you have not seen it, it's worth it. Fast forward. Go check it out. <laughs> Herb's complaining that Bailey does not know how to write an effective ad. For example, this copy from the North Mall Pet Village. <laughs> Get a load of this big guy. Wouldn't you like to come home to a cuddly, warm little companion like a cocker spaniel? I kind of liked it. Well, and so did ours. What's wrong with that? I like it. Herb, of course, after reading it, gives a real sour face. But they cut to Art, and he's got this very pleasant, relaxed, comforting smile on his face. And he's obviously picturing coming home to a warm, fuzzy puppy. But Herb has a different idea. He said that... Dogs go like crazy down there. They they sell them out all the time. They need to focus on the merchandise that's piling up in the back. Big snake sale. Save. 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 and choose. Mix and match. Everything's smart down. These marvelous pets are quiet, hard to find. Rid your home of pesky rodents and unwanted baby chicks. Startle your friends today. Now, from a reality standpoint, I would like to point out Herb is exactly right. You go to the client and you say, what's not moving? Let's get it out of here. And you do make the spot about all this stuff, all the snakes that are piling up in the back. (laughs) But if you say that they're going to get rid of your little baby chicks, I don't know if you're going to sell that. I think that line we might have to talk about. (laughs) And unwanted baby chicks. Now, here comes Andy. He is bringing in the news about... Johnny. Yeah, he says, Mr. Carlson, we've got big trouble. And of course... Uh Uh-oh, mother's on her way. No trouble's bigger than mama. First thing that comes to Carlson's (laughs) mind. (laughs) And he says, no, no, it's worse than mama. Yeah, what? Worse? What could be worse than mama? Andy's wanting a private audience with Carlson, so he asks Bailey and Herb to leave. Art's office is like Grand Central Station. They move more traffic through there. It's constantly. It kind of surprises me that that Art plays around so much because you never know who's going to be walking in and catching him. Yeah, it's kind of funny, though, as Bailey and Herb exit. Now, you know how we've we've always got Les and Herb kind of snipping and sniping at each other. I kind of like Bailey and Herb doing the same thing. Could you excuse us, please? Sure, Andy. (laughs) Andy tells Art what's going on. Johnny's got a job offer. (laughs) And a good one. Come on, Travis, what's the problem? Yeah, it's Johnny. He's got a job offer. Johnny? Yep, and it is a good one. In radio. Yes. You can't believe it. <laughs> it's got to be in some other field. <laughs> well, it's here we learn that Johnny is making 17500 17500 and 79 yes. translating to about 63000 in 2020, but I'm sure your taxes are going to be a lot worse in 2020 as well. So, and Carlson asks Andy. 17.5. Huh? Well, you think they can top that out there? Yeah, and Andy very sagely <laughs> says he thinks, yeah, they probably can. <laughs> All right, so Carlson, he opens up the purse strings. He offers Johnny 19. Yeah, go offer him 19, and if you have to, go up to 19.1. Ah, uh, he's getting tough, <laughs> getting tough. If he demands a parking spot, we'll give him estimates. I mean, these things are negotiable. Now, I was wondering when he brought that up, is Les parking his scooter in that spot? 
And does this mean Les has a spot and Johnny doesn't? I don't know. Yeah, all these questions that we're raising that I we need to find out. I just that they all had spots, and I was thinking maybe Les had a, a better spot. Well, that could be as well. I but don't know. I, I don't picture Johnny having a car. <laughs> and if Johnny, if Johnny has a car, remember that car in 48 hours that Nick Nolte drove the... <laughs> That's Johnny's car, if Johnny has a car. Well, I think he does, because it it comes up later on in this episode. (laughs) So Andy explains to Carlson that it's not a question of money. It's about pride. Well, then you just tell him we're all very proud of him and offer him 18. (laughs) And now who comes in? Venus in all of his style and glory. All right. Now, just tell me. In February 1979, how many people in Cincinnati were wearing that outfit? (laughs) I think we got one. One is wearing that outfit. He walks in with a full-length fur coat, red pants and shirt, with a black turtleneck sweater underneath, gold bling that really pops against the black sweater, uh, a green felt wide-brimmed hat, and I believe you said it was a it's fedora. It's a fedora, yes it is. With a brighter shade of green ribbon band around <laughs> it, and then to top that off, yellow kidskin gloves. And there is a big response when Venus enters in this outfit, <laughs> and it co- almost covers up this line. Do you dudes know about Johnny? Which sets up an even better line. Yeah, we were just having a dudes conference over that very side. <laughs> And I love it because Andy is in between Carlson and Venus, and he's looking back and forth. And you can see after Carlson delivers that line, Andy is pursing his lips together. Andy's looked at Art's face as Art says the line about the dude's conference, and Andy looks back towards Venus, and, and he's his face trying to his, keep from cracking up. His face inflates. You can just see all he's, around his lips, puff of air goes into his cheeks. I'm surprised it didn't. Come out, you know. <laughs> oh man, dude's conference slays you. Oh, those words coming out of Carlson's mouth. Yeah, we were just having a dude's conference. Venus says Johnny can't leave. Johnny's the reason Venus came to WKRP. All right, now I had a little question about this because I seem to recall. He said, "Yeah, he's the reason he came. He wanted to work with Johnny." Well, but he says he wanted to work with the doctor. One of the reasons I came to the station was to work with the doctor. And the doctor was invented. The same day Venus arrived at the station, if we remember back to pilot part one, the doctor scratched the record and introduced himself for the first time as the doctor, and he made it up on the spot. Yes. And later that day, Venus arrived. They maybe didn't cover this little uh, bit of continuity in the script as they were ironing this one out for Goodbye Johnny. I think maybe they missed a detail. Well, they're having this this talk, and and they're like, oh my gosh, we got to figure out what to do to get him to, to stay. We've got to trick him. Venus comes up with this tricking idea. Yeah, and he jumps. Venus goes right to it. He thinks he's got the idea to keep Johnny there, and he's not a big fan. He has waited five years to get the chance to get back on top. So then here comes Johnny, all smiles, telling them the guys out in L.A. have called, and instead of two weeks' notice, could he make it one? Art says okay. So Johnny's cool. He's like, all right, I'm going to go play in the snow one last time. And he decides, whatever Venus has, let's give it a try. Okay, here's the plan. Then I'll take notes. 
so we move into the lobby where Jennifer's at her desk flipping through a magazine, and Johnny does one of his sneaking up behind her things, only this time he's dancing. Sometimes he's got the claws out and the eye rolled out. This time he's dancing behind her, but it's kind of similar to what we saw again early in the season, those jokes that he would do uh, behind Jennifer and she would sense his presence. He says he's going home, it's about noon, his shift is all done, and it's past his bedtime. (laughs) Yes. Jennifer congratulates him on the big job. I guess you'll probably go out there and become a big personality and forget all of us. Not all of you. (laughs) See you tomorrow. I'm not wondering if uh, this isn't part of Venus's plan. Oh, the way she's reacting, the way she's... Yeah, this might all be setting the table for it. Yes, she's kind of being a little sweet on him a little bit. Yeah. She says, okay, we'll see you tomorrow, and she follows him to the door, watches him leave. So long. So long. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) She's really turning on the flirt there. So she's really just watching and making sure he gets all the way gone, because as soon as he's gone, she does this... Lonnie Anderson doesn't really do that whistle. I don't think so. Nah, somebody did that whistle and they dropped it in there. And when they hear the whistle, everybody comes out and they're gathering in the lobby and they're all talking at the same time and they're all excited. All right. Now, yes, we do have Herb in this scene, but we're not issuing an alert. This is his outfit from Pilot Part 1, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, another repeat. Yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, you got only so many clothes in the closet. Well, that's true. But this is where he's got the, uh, he does have the shirt and the sweater vest tucked into the pants. With this white belt, you yeah. You can't beat that look. Go <laughs> for that look. Carlson's trying to get their attention when they're all talking and he can't. So he asked Jennifer to get their attention, and she... Jennifer, you let her do Hey, it was a good gag once. Let's do it again. <laughs> yes. So Art says that he thinks they've come up with a way to keep Johnny from going to L.A., and everybody's on board except Herb. Uh, I think we've come up with a way to keep Johnny from going to Los Angeles. Why? <laughs> Okay, so now we make a move to the cricket restaurant, fine dining, and everyone is dressed up for this final dinner for Johnny. And what's really hilarious is to stage it for the cameras, they are all seated to one side of the table. Uh, It is much the staging like the Last Supper. (laughs) Yes. I also, something it reminded me of, if you ever remember those Dean Martin celebrity roasts, the head table with the DS at the the top there always had that same look to it. Everybody looking out at the audience. So that's how we've got everybody aligned. And in the center of the table is a little short podium for people to use. Just slightly raised. Although nobody really ever uses it. No. Well, Art kind of steadies himself on it. Yes. <laughs> now we start this scene on an exterior shot of the Cricket restaurant. Now it's hard to see from that shot. It's kind of focused in just on the restaurant. But the Cricket at that time was in the Cincinnatian Hotel, which is the hotel right next door to the Flim Building, which in Cincinnati is actually the old Cincinnati Inquirer building. Now the Cricket is a restaurant that opened first in eight. 1972. Been around a while. It was part of, at the time, the Palace Hotel, and it was known as a journalist hangout since the Inquirer was right next door. So all the journalists would leave the paper and step over to the cricket for a drink after their shift. Now, the hotel was renovated as the Cincinnatian in 1987. At that time, the name of this restaurant was changed to the Palace, and they named the new lounge space 
the cricket. So the cricket restaurant, as we see it here, doesn't exist anymore. And a big shout out and a thanks to our man Chesy D and Cincy for that information on the cricket. At the table, Les is sitting next to Bailey, and he is giving her a lecture on how to give a speech the proper way. You always start with an amusing story. Once you've got the audience laughing, they're putty in your hands. Right. Now, where are your three by five cards? We get pairs as we go down the table. We've got everybody in pairs, and we. We start out with this pair of Les and Bailey, and then we pan down to the right. And next we see Art sitting with Jennifer. Art has <laughs> had a couple, and he's telling a war story. There I was, you see, at, at Guadalcanal, or uh, maybe it was Mindanao. I don't know, but the Japanese were all over the place. Jennifer doesn't get that it's a war story. Were you on vacation? <laughs> So that conversation's going swimmingly. And you pan on by Andy and Venus, who are saying, we better get this thing started because Mr. Carlson's had a... We're about to lose the big guy. And then we... Oh, my favorite coming up. We pan on down. Okay, now, we want to let you know here, yes, we realize we've got a fashion alert here, but we're not going to catch the fashion alert until Herb stands up and we get him in his full glory. But right now, we pan on down to the hottest couple at the table... Herb and his wife, Lucille. I love Lucille. Oh, we love love Lucille. And the cheese puff was just scrumptious. (laughs) She is played by the amazing Edie McClurg. Yes, Edie McClurg with that incredible voice, unbelievable timing. This woman is amazing. Now, she only appeared on WKRP three times. But it seems like so much more. So many more times. Big of an impact. Yes, she is just that much of of a personality that. You cannot forget Edie McClure. <laughs> she was born in 1945 in Kansas City, Missouri, and she began acting at the age of five. With the Kansas City Rhythm Kids. <laughs> the girl's big number culminated with a back bend where Edie drank a soda upside down, of course. And there's no video of that because it happened in 1950. Well, her dancing lessons and her little dancing career ended because the dance teacher was arrested on a morals charge. He happened to be dating the tall and lithsome yet underage star of the troupe. Oh my goodness. Oops. Thankfully, Edie was not uh, scarred by that experience. She went on to earn a, uh, (laughs) she earned a BS degree in speech education and a master's of science degree. She also taught radio at the University of Missouri at Kansas for eight years. And she has quite the filmography. She has 217 credits. She worked on the Richard Pryor show where I first ever saw her and loved her. She was Mrs. Poole, the next door neighbor on the show, Valerie. Right, yes, she was great. One of her very first ever appearances was in the movie Carrie, where she was actually one of the students. Then about seven years later, she made a huge splash where she was the school secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And didn't you say that was an ad lib? Yes, it was. And kind of interesting that she had the problem with the uh, dance teacher who was arrested on a morals charge. (laughs) It turns out that her uh, principal there at Ferris Bueller winds up getting in the same kinds of trouble later. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Yeah. 
She also worked on Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. She wrote the Pee Wee Herman show for HBO, and uh, she was on Martin Mull's History of White People in America. She worked with Robert Redford in A River Runs Through It. She worked for Oliver Stone in Natural Born Killers, Diane Keaton in Hanging Up, and she was named Best Actress of the Chicago Alternative Film Festival for her portrayal of the mother of Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Edie had one of those voices. You cannot have an instrument like that and not get out there and display it to the world. And she definitely knew how to play that voice of hers. She was featured in films just her voice, such as The Little Mermaid, Rugrats Movie, A Bug's Life. And you might remember her in Cars from 2006. She's also had a recurring role in the TV series. Family Guy. She was an original member of the Groundlings, which was an improv group, and she was involved with that group from 1976 to 1985. And you know how you've heard us talk about the committee and how influential they were out of San Francisco. Groundlings, same kind of thing coming out of L.A. <laughs> Herb keeps apologizing because he thought they were supposed to bring their wives <laughs> to this dinner. And, and we kind of broke this down. If everybody brought their wives, really the only other wife that would be there is Art's wife. Yes, and Herb keeps saying, I thought we were supposed to bring our wives. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought you guys were going to bring your wives. Yeah, and really, Carmen would be the only other wife there. Right. Lucille is enjoying the meal, and she happens to notice the butter dish. Uh, is that a real butter patty there? I don't know. Uh, why don't you eat one? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She talks about food a lot. She enjoys her food. And you know what we talked about here? When she, there's My a, kind of woman. Like, there's, there's a little move she makes here and a little something she does with her mouth and kind of the way she turns her head. I think one of the funniest women ever to walk the earth was Madeline Kahn. And you see so much of Madeline Kahn in Edie McClurg's yes. performance. You know, Madeline Kahn was the ingenue in the sex pot. Edie's more innocent, but she's got a lot of the same timing and delivery and is just so funny. Venus is the master of ceremonies for the night, and we must talk about Venus's big bow around his neck. It's a statement. It definitely is. This is this whole outfit is quite the statement. I think I it's love, an exclamation. Yeah, <laughs> I love the collar that's coming up, the shirt collar that comes up out over the jacket. That yes, he's wearing hot. a black suit with a white shirt that has a very wide collar that comes out over the collar of his velour jacket. It is crushed black velour. Yes, and he's also wearing those musical notes that yes, pin the that pin you that, like. that I noticed uh, for Bailey's show that he was wearing at the open of Bailey's show. That yes, little, yeah, and he's looking like pretty sharp, but I just don't know what his... That is was a, with the big black clown bow. It's a big bow. It definitely is. <laughs> Venus somehow is always master of ceremonies. He was the guy that introduced Scum, and he just seems to always be the guy that hosts. He's the one on stage hosting, and he's hosting our big dinner tonight, and he says it's time now. I'd like to introduce the guy who really holds WKRP together. We get a wide shot, and Herb stands at the same time Art stands. <laughs> yes, he believes that, oh, they're talking about me. He believes it's time for him to speak. Herb holds the place together. <laughs> so Art's a little tipsy and has... <laughs> a little? Yeah, Art's, move, Art's moving towards take his keys, call him a cab. Uh, Art comes to the center of the table and plants his fists on that little dais thing we were talking about, but trying to hold Herb, himself up. 
He and Herb show up at the center of the table about the same time. And then Herb realizes his mistake, and he kind of brushes Mr. Carlson's suit coat off, like getting him ready. But what's funny is they both make an equally long trip to get to the middle. That's both quite a ways. And then when they both meet, it is so obviously embarrassing for Herb, but he covers it up by brushing Art's coat. Nice man, that Herb. We're worried about Art staying coherent here. But he goes into some fishing metaphors. I would like to say that we're darn proud of you for landing that big fish of success. <laughs> he must have done some fishing in California, or somebody told him a really bad story about fishing in California, but it really sounds awful. Oh, it's hot, it's stinky. And he, then you're going to go... <laughs> got to go treep de out there. Uh, whatever it is, they put you those little boats. He starts reminiscing about how this is the very room that the Rotarians <laughs> gave him his Rotarian of the Week award. All right, and you know what I thought? As we when we first cut into this room and I saw them at that table, I thought, I'll bet a Rotary Club meets there. I really did. <laughs> As a Rotarian, I'm always kind of looking, I'll bet there's a Rotary plaque on the front of the cricket saying the Rotary meets here every Tuesday at noon. Uh, well, he kind of gets lost in this Rotarian story and <laughs> wanders back to his seat, going, Oh man, that was such it a was great a, night. That was so much, and I'll tell you, this one for the memory books. <sighs> Oh, and he sits down and he's done. (laughs) He goes back to sleep and then it's Les's turn. Now, we are really built up on Les because Les, not only a member of the Speechmakers Club of America. Our own uh, Les Nesman, as you might not know, was the past president of the Cincinnati chapter of the Speechmakers Club of America. So Les gets up and he's ready to give his speech. He's got his three-by-five cards with him, and he begins. Good evening, everyone. After he says that line, he takes the top card and puts it underneath. It was the only thing on that card. All right, now, Les, a seasoned speechmaker, past president of the chapter, they didn't go over how to deal with the wait staff while doing your speech. We have a young lady come in bearing strawberry tarts. Her name is Janet Mishad. She is known for the movies Being There, Strange Behavior, and Dukes of Hazard. Now, Janet not landing the big roles. Um, a lot of her parts are identified as Dancer at Party, The Hooker, Waitress. Woman in casket. <laughs> when you've got to pay the bills and you've hey, got to eat, you'll lay a in a casket. It's a gig and it gets you points on your exactly. SAG card. You're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, she kind of was in pretty heavily involved in performing uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. She had several uh, credits on her IMDb filmography. Then seems to have kind of quieted down for a while until getting into more of the 20 teens. Uh, she had two shows she produced in 2014 and 2015, and a huge Hugh Wilson Atlanta connection here. Although she's going by her maiden name, Janet is Tom Wells' wife. 
You know, WKRP music director Tom Wells. They were married in 1970, moved to L.A. in 74, and were married for 42 years until Tom's death in 2012. Janet's back in Atlanta where she's an acting coach and an improv instructor. So that's our waitress, Janet Michad. She enters and she asks who wants a tart, and <laughs> Lucille speaks up. Okay, who wants strawberry tart? Oh, over here, over here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> There's a quality to her voice that cuts through all the other noise. You hear her over everything, and she's not really that loud. It's just in the range. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, over here, over here, uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so Les is in. Uh, Les is in a tizzy. He's he's upset here. He has realized he's got the wrong speech. Now you may be asking yourself, how can I, an Ohio farmer, affect policy in Peking? The wrong stack of cards in his hands, and he's got this woman distributing tarts. <laughs> Tart. Leave me alone. <laughs> and then he blames Bailey for his cards being out of order. Yeah, and Les is flustered. Venus tells him to wing it. Les is not a wing it kind of guy. We never wing it, Venus. That's speechmaker's rule number one. Always come prepared. Then it's Bailey's turn to speak. You're a real friend, Johnny. And I wish you wouldn't go. When I think of WKRP, I... Well, I always think of you. <laughs> I guess I always will. <laughs> Johnny helped her when she first came to WKRP, and I think Johnny was touched. We're getting reaction shots from Johnny. It's working. It's working. And then when she finishes, she sits down, and Carlson <laughs> leans over. Is it working? Is he going to stay? <laughs> it's not that subtle when he's got a bag on. <laughs> now it's Herb's turn, right, Herb. and it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a pink quilted jacket. Hold on a minute here. Before you get into this, okay. this should be a nuclear alert. This is a, this is oh. an alert plus. <laughs> this is off the charts for an alert. Okay, now go. <laughs> He's wearing a pink quilted jacket with darker pink circles, a collar edged in black, and the pocket flaps are edged in black, a pink shirt with a ruffled breastplate and ruffled, ruffled sleeve cuffs. Huge ruffles. You could lose yourself in these ruffles. And then he not only has <laughs> the ruffled cuffs, he shoots them right before he starts yes, to he talk. Yes, he pulls them down so you can see them. you got to get a good look at those sleeve cuffs. And then the, to set this outfit off, he has a yellow boutonniere in the little, oh, little yes. boutonniere hole thing. <laughs> Seriously, go see this outfit. This is a fashion <laughs> alert you must witness. It is incredible. And Lucille getting in on it. Yes. She's wearing a wrist corsage and a black choker with her red dress. And her hair is all in an updo beehivish style. I think mom and dad took pictures of them before they left to go to the cricket. It's prom they night. They look like they're going to prom. It they is really do. prom night. Well, you mentioned maybe that's what they wore to prom. <laughs> that might be. This might be Herb's prom tux. It very well could be. <laughs> when Venus introduces Herb, Lucille begins clapping enthusiastically. Oh, she's his biggest fan. Let's have a word from the world's greatest sales manager, Herb Tarlick. She's the only one clapping. Yeah, that's a little rough. It's kind of sad. Yeah. But she won't stop until Herb puts his hand on hers. I'd uh, like to begin by saying that uh, I thought we were supposed to bring our wives. <laughs> that is really, really bugging Herb. It is bugging him. 
Well, because he had a bad experience in the past. Yeah, yeah. I went to a costume party once, but it wasn't. Everybody else was in regular clothes, and I was in the rabbit suit. Herb really is not too into this whole let's fake Johnny out thing. He closes his speech off with, John, you're really great. We're going to miss you. Oh, please don't go. Herb's so sincere. As a sales guy, you know he could have come up with something there, but no. Now Venus introduces Jennifer, who's wearing a dress and a wrap over her shoulders. So she stands up and gets applause. It's polite. A little smattering. A little bit here and then. Then she removes the shoulder wrap, and she brought the girls with her. (laughs) Well, wait, do you think think she's going to go somewhere without them? Well, they're they're dressed up and ready to go. Um, And the applause picks up. Oh, does it ever. Louder and faster. Although Lucille is not happy about Herb's reaction to that. She reaches out and grabs his hand. I think I'm going to miss Johnny more than anyone else in this room. Wow. Uh, Johnny is reacting. It is definitely making an impression on him. You see his eyes go wide. What's beautiful, though, and Howard Hesman does such a great job, again, it's that subtle acting. He is just so bowled over by this, but not moving a muscle. And every time they cut to him, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> this really isn't the time or place to talk about it out here in front of all these people. But let me say this. I'm really going to miss you, Johnny. She sits. Venus is so mesmerized by her. He's right next to her. He's just staring at her and doesn't get up to continue his hosting duties until Andy elbows him in the ribs. Oh, yeah. Now, finally, Andy gets up to speak, and he is wearing a... A faux leather jacket. A number of vinyls. A number of vinyls had to die for that jacket. I think his hair looks extra foofed up and feathered for his evening out. I think there's been additional blow drying and shaping for the evening. And and he hasn't had a cowboy hat on it. True. That's not pushing pushing it it down. But my goodness, there's a lot of work went into that hair. He goes into his speech and then he can't do it anymore. He finally admits to Johnny that it's all been an act. They were trying to trick him into staying, but it was done out of love. And you know, when they say trick, it's not really a trick. I mean, they gave Johnny a nice dinner and Johnny has no animosity. It's a great party, you know, it's beautiful. It's been a long time since anybody went to this much trouble to lie to me. Johnny apologizes for only thinking about himself, which seems like they're getting through to him. He said he felt moved by what everybody has said and done. I just want to say that I'm more than a little moved here. And he hugged each of them. Well, not Art. Art almost fell over onto him. Yes, he he reaches out to shake Johnny's hand and he falls into Johnny. But what's funny is the last person, as he's making his way through the room, uh, he now is face-to-face with Jennifer, and after that very intimate speech she gave, they just look at each other, they lock eyes, it's way too much for Johnny, and he is out of there. Well, well, is the guest of honor leaving before he has his dessert? Well, everyone begins chattering, and they're like congratulating each other. Oh, we did it, we did it, and they, they think they he's think they've stay. got him convinced. Yeah. They think they've got him convinced. But man, it's California. It's more money. It's warm, sunny skies. I don't think they're going to keep him. They're all in a very good mood, and Les says, "Hey, I found my cards," and he gets up to make his speech, <laughs> and he gets about this far. We are gathered here tonight to say goodbye. 
to one swell guy. And we hear Carlson's response. Thank you very much. I think Gordon Jump does an excellent drunk. He does. He's got enough of the slur and the effect that you know he's drunk, but it's not too much. But he's not obnoxious with it. I'm really going to miss you, Johnny. (laughs) The next scene, we're in the lobby. It's the next morning, and Jennifer's at the desk when Andy comes in, and he asks Jennifer if Johnny's there. Andy, he didn't come in this morning. Well, the backup man's on, right? Yeah. They already had planned on having a a fill-in for Johnny. They they knew he wasn't going to be there. That was the plan. Bailey enters, and she asks if he's on. And I'm wondering doesn't anybody listen to the station right, on the way, on their into way to the, work? You into made work? that comment, and I'm like, hey, I didn't think of yeah. that. <laughs> Unless they're taking the bus. Then Bailey says, well, okay, so he's been late before, hasn't he? No, he has never been late for a shift. Hey, and that jacket Andy's wearing, I want, you want one, one of one? those. I know. Man, I know. that is cool looking. It says WKRP right it there. It is on a cool it, so, looking yeah. jacket. I have no idea where to get one. If anybody knows where to get yeah, one, give me, give me <laughs> one of those jackets. Now, here comes Herb, and he's Mr. Positive, surprisingly. Hey, I think I saw Johnny's car in the lot. So he tells everybody. Don't worry. Johnny's going to be back. It worked. So you were wondering if Johnny even had a car, so there's the answer to your question. Yeah, it is. Johnny's car in the lot. I guess he's going to drive all the way to California. Well, you know, you pack up the trunk. I doubt he's got money for a plane ticket. Four months ago, I'm sleeping in a van. It's not my van. I don't care. Well, and he doesn't have that much to pack up. True. He lives like a college student. Well, Jennifer says, well, it was a big night last night. Maybe he knew, you know, that there was a substitute filling in for him. He's just slept in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Andy asks if Jennifer called. No answer. Oh, no. So they're all gathered at the door. They're saying he's going to walk in any minute, any minute. And we get the most horrifying three words you could ever get watching episodic TV back in the late 70s, early 80s. To be continued. It pops up on the screen and you hear the fake Beach Boys start playing. Oh, not bad enough that it's to be continued, (laughs) but that we also get fake Beach Boys over to be continued. But back in the day, honey, back in the day, you had had to wait a week. A whole week. You could not just punch the next Is button Johnny on Netflix really and go to gone? the next episode. It's gone. We won't know till next we can't. week. Man, Johnny's not <laughs> coming back, is he? He's going to stay in L.A. All right, so, hey, I wonder what's up for next week. Next week's episode is Johnny Comes Back. Ooh, ooh, what's that about? (laughs) Johnny returns to WKRP only to discover that he's already been replaced by a DJ who is secretly taking Paola in the form of cocaine. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. Thanks for joining us. Remember, if you want to watch along, check our show notes. You've got a little bit of white stuff under your nose there. <laughs> Powdered sugar. You're not going to leave it. If you want to hang out, you've got to take her out. Cocaine. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. She don't lie, she don't lie, she don't lie. Cocaine. May the good news be yours. To the 
WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!